Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Two weeks ago, I started a new series, and I began talking about the culture of God's kingdom. Okay, so in other words, every kingdom. Now, we don't really think like a kingdom. We think like a democratic republic, <laughs> which doesn't exactly operate like a kingdom. Um, and I'll just leave that at that so we don't go down a rabbit hole here. But in a kingdom, the king sets the culture. It is the king who decides this is what the culture of this kingdom is going to be. In fact, the truth is, it's a kingdom is the emanation of the king's nature, right? If you have a corrupt king, it's going to be a corrupt culture. If you have a perfect king like our king, then it's going to be an amazing culture, but it's going to be his culture, right? That's what we talked about two weeks ago. We don't get to choose what the culture is. The king chooses that culture, sets that culture. And so we as a people are, as his people, as the citizens of the kingdom, as the sons of the kingdom, as ones who reign with him in that kingdom, are a people that are ever eager to make sure that we are participating not in whatever we want, but his culture, right? And that makes the spirit of God welcome. God's intention was always to dwell among us, to powerfully be among us. And when he's welcome, he can come be among us. Do we remember all that two whole weeks ago? Are we doing good? Okay. Now I have to tell you, I didn't expect to be, to be teaching on what I'm teaching on this morning. Um, I have a whole long, cool list of things that God has given me that are truths, are marks of his culture that makes him welcome and gives him the freedom to do what he desires to do for us and in us. And this is not one of those. <laughs> what happened here is we had a ministry launch this week called One More Ministry. They're kind of springing up like weeds these days, and it's awesome. Um, God is doing so many things. It's our living water ministry. It's an inner healing ministry. And I was preparing for our launch meeting. And uh, the next thing I knew, the spirit of the Lord came on me. And the next thing I was doing was writing a sermon. And I was sensing the Lord saying, this is what we're going to do. And if you're going to tell them about my culture, this is where you start. Because it's, it's the foundation of his culture. So that's, that's how this happened. And I want to tell you a little story, actually, uh, about get this. About six months ago, I went to a meeting, a meeting of pastors. Okay, um, and I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it totally unnamed because I don't want to be derogatory to anyone. Okay, but it was one of the hardest meetings I've ever been through because the topic of the meeting was counseling. And it was pastors talking to other pastors, essentially about, well, what do you do about counseling in your church? And I'm, so I'm sitting there thinking, and the terms God's made me think is, so in other words, we're asking, what are you doing about caring for or curing souls in your church? And I'm going to tell you how this conversation went. They basically talked about, how are you outsourcing the care of souls in your church? That was the whole conversation. 
Who do you refer to? Who are your circles to, to get this so that you have time to be a pastor? How do you outsource the care of souls? I was so grieved. I had about an hour and a half drive home, and I cried a good portion of the way. My heart was so grieved that that's what's happened with the care of souls. Oswald Chamber would call it the cure of souls for reasons that we're going to talk about this morning. So that's kind of what can happen. Obviously, that would be a culture that is contrary to the culture of Jesus' kingdom, right? Completely contrary to his culture. Spirit, the Spirit of God is not really welcome in a culture where we're trying to outsource the primary reason for the kingdom of God, the reconciling of souls to himself. So I'm just going to I'm going to set the stage here, okay? And I'm going to start all the way at Adam and Eve. Bear with me. You understand when Adam and Eve fell, okay? I know you got this part. We fell out of God. Death is what happened, right? We fall out of God. Now, that's a problem. We we are already in a place where we have to be restored into God, right? But it's worse than that, and that's what I want to show you. It's not just neutral. It's not just that we've fallen out of God and we now need to be restored into God. It's, it's exponentially worse than that. Because the moment we experience that death, that separation from God, the soul begins a downward spiral, okay? We don't just stop there. We immediately have a God void. It's from cover to cover in his revelation on these pages. We immediately have a void of God, and we immediately begin trying to fill the void with efforts and idols. Okay? Damage of the soul. There is no human being that's ever lived, not even Adam, that hasn't experienced the mutilation of the soul from that void and begin to try to fill it in efforts and idols. So every soul needs cure. This age, the first mark of the culture of the kingdom of God during this age is that it is a kingdom where souls are being restored, healed into a place so that we can be in the glory of God. Amen? Okay, so that just sets the stage. Now, um... One more thing in introduction, and, and I'm not going to give this a lot of time because we, we actually had a whole sermon on this in the past, and it's not really our purpose, but I just want to show you that in the four cups of the Passover meal is the foundational marks of the kingdom of God, okay? Now, you understand, just before Jesus gives up his life, to save yours, he sits down at the Passover meal, the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and he, he takes up these cups that they've been celebrating for thousands of years. They've been doing it similar to this way for thousands of years. Basically, this is a ribbon cutting, right? The Lord's Supper is his ribbon cutting for the kingdom of God, a kingdom that he is about to institute more fully in truth, shadow for shadow, right? I want to just bring up the four cups. I know, I know we've done this before, 
But um, you remember the first two cups are the cups that are during the meal, right? And the first cup, this is all, we're not going to look at the scriptures, but if you want to, it's in Exodus 6, in the beginning of that chapter. God's promises are what they're celebrating. And the first one is, I will take you out. And specifically, I will take you out from under burden. How many of you know that the wounded soul is under burden? Causes us to carry burdens that the Lord doesn't, it was not his intention for you to be burdened with those things. The second cup is he says, I will save you. In other words, I will rescue you and is specifically from bondage, slavery, captivity. How many of you know that the wounded soul puts us in a bondage, in a slavery? that we're powerless to free ourselves from. Okay, there's nothing we can do about it. Thank God Jesus can can do something about it. Which is the second two cups that that are that are taken up after the meal. The third cup is I will redeem you and that word redeem means I will take you as a member of my family. They knew that. In that culture there was no such thing as redeeming and not bringing them into your family. That's redemption. I'll make you my son. And the fourth cup is, I will take you as a nation. In other words, I will give you the authority of the nation. I will put the authority of my name upon you. So out of burden, out of bondage, into his family to reign with him in in the authority of his name. Yes, that's his culture, (laughs) okay? And when he sat down at the Lord's Supper, that was the ribbon cutting for the kingdom. He was establishing, this is my culture. This is the culture of my kingdom. Now, we're going to talk about culture, really, okay? Actually, let's just do it. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. We'll start in 16. Now, this is going to look back again at, at what I kind of opened with, okay? That we're in a place where every single one of us, no one escapes. We're in a place of being restored out of that burden and bondage, the woundedness, the lies, the brokenness, the shame, the guilt. All of the mutilation of the soul is being restored in this age. And here in 2 Corinthians, it talks about that most foundational aspect of his culture. If the Spirit is going to be welcome in our lives to grow us, to transform us into what God's trying to make, that's the beginning of understanding his culture. How many of you all know that already? You've seen that in your lives. Okay, let's read this. In verse 16, it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is Paul talking, writing a letter to the church of Corinth. Now, why does he say that? We regard no one according to the flesh. It's the kingdom of God in this age is a spiritual kingdom. And so they don't even regard, he's saying we don't even regard people according to the flesh anymore. You understand, God, in, in his word, he says he withholds no spiritual blessing from you. Do you believe that? He withholds no spiritual blessing. Now we're going to talk about that. There's a discrepancy, right? Is that your experience all the time? 
Well, if you're anything like me, I don't experience the truth of that all the time, and we're going we're gonna to talk about why. But it doesn't make it untrue. goes on and says, Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Why is that? They've known Christ in the flesh. But why do we regard him thus no longer? Because he's gone to the Father. You see, he says, greater things than I did, you're going to do because I go to the Father. We don't regard him according to the flesh. He sat down at the seat of power at the right hand of his Father, and he invites us into that authority, the fourth cup. Goes on in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, okay, if anyone has given their life to Christ, accepted what he's done on your behalf, then everything we're about to read about is the truth about you. Look at somebody and say, what we're going to read is true about me. And he says, so here's what's true about you. He says, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now I'm going to show you something. I know you've read that before. Do you recognize that it says you are? It says he is a new creation. In other words, it's done. You're new. And the old's passed away. Now listen, this is past tense. It says all things have become new. Do you see the finishedness of that? When Jesus was on the cross and he said it's finished, um, he actually meant it. (laughs) It is completely finished. Now I know you have discrepancy in your life. So to believe me, we have discrepancy. We want to go, well, if it's, if it's so incredibly finished, why do I still battle things? Why, why do I still feel sometimes my woundedness more than the life of Christ in me? You see, just because something is finished and fully available does not mean that we're healthy enough or free enough to participate in the reality of what is finished. Does that make sense? He is ever transforming us into a people that are, that are released from burden, free from bondage, such that you can actually have what he's finished. That you are a son of God, a member of the royal family, and a carrier of the authority of his name in this dark place. It's past tense. These things All things have become new. Now it goes on in verse 18 and says, Now all things are of God. Is that your experience all the time? All things are of God? No, do you know why? He has given man dominion, and it's true in your case. He he has chosen to defeat the enemy and accomplish his purposes through you. You're the participant. You're the vessel that is bringing the reality of this truth into the world. It doesn't change the truth of that statement, does it? All things are of God. That statement is true, and he's using you to bring it about. Amen? Now, here's really the reason we're reading this. Now all things are of God, who has, past tense, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
tell someone he's given me the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? (laughs) You see, if that's true, if he's given you the ministry of reconciliation, it makes it pretty important to understand what that ministry is. Right? Now look, I'm going to read on and we're going to take a look at that reconciliation very deeply. Goes on in verse 20 and says, Now then, we are ambassadors. You know that word is a, is a culture word. It's a kingdom word. An ambassador is someone who represents a kingdom or a king, a governmental authority, and brings that culture wherever they go in authority. That's what an ambassador is. It's a, it's a kingdom word. I know I'm making you do this a lot. I guess I think it's important. Tell someone I'm an ambassador. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. There it is again. What is that? Be reconciled to God in command form. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, so if we have this ministry of reconciliation, we've all been given this ministry. We've been given the word of reconciliation. What is that? When you look at these original words, okay, so when it says that he reconciled us to himself, that word is katalaso, okay, which means to change mutually. In other words, change together. You might think back uh, probably a month ago we were talking, how are we transformed? Do you still got this? As if looking in a mirror, right? So we look at the glory of the Lord as in a mirror and this in a mutual change happens. We are more and more made into his image. Okay, you're seeing that just in the word of the ministry that you're called to, the ministry of reconciliation to mutually change. And it comes from the, the root, alasso, which is to make different change. Okay? Now, in that scripture, in the places where it says the ministry of reconciliation, and also where it says we're, we've been given the word of reconciliation, that word is katalage, which, is, which literally means exchange. Now, you've got to get this part. You have to get this part. It means exchange, and they would have known that it is an exchange for the restoration of divine favor. Did you hear that? You are called to the ministry of taking people's hand to Jesus's hand for an actual encounter with a living God who wants to have an exchange for the restoration of divine favor in their life. That's your ministry. Now, I've got to be really careful here because who do you minister to first? (laughs) Yes, give me a high five. I'm coming over here. You understand the kingdom of God is a kingdom of overflow. 
You don't minister from emptiness. The ministry is to yourself first. You're called to this ministry of reconciliation. To The culture of God is to ever be seeking to have actual encounter with the living God because he wants to have an exchange with you. Now, we're going to talk about what he wants to exchange, but he wants to... He wants to fill you to overflowing in the exchange so that now you're a partner in this ministry of restoring divine favor in people's lives. That's way too quiet. Somebody's got to yell hallelujah or something. <laughs> That's the ministry you've been given. Small thing. <laughs> You see, here's the thing. We can be a church culture where we, we've got it all together. You know? We've gotten really good at having it all together. And that's contrary to the culture of God. You know what that is? That's the religion of the Pharisees. We do the religion well, but we offer you no encounter with a living God whatsoever. It's harmful. To do religion well and not offer ourselves or other people actual encounter with the presence of a living God so that he can have exchanges with them is harmful to the soul. Actually, before we move on, i got to do this too. Last week we had testimonies, which I love. I loved the testimonies on the retreat, coming back here and listening to and I already know Sandra's testimony, and I was a mess listening to it. Do you know why? Because it was, it's wrought with the glory of God in their stories. You hear their stories, and you are listening to actual encounter with God. You know, it's possible to ask someone, tell us your testimony. It's possible to hear a story and, and the story can, can be a story about how someone came to be dedicated to the church or came to be someone who's active in ministry, and you hear the story, and it's absent of God in the story. Encounter with God. No exchange with God. And I'll tell you, that's not testimony. It's a story, but it's not a testimony of God's glory, God's love for us, his unquenchable desire to be in relationship with you. One's a story, the other is a testimony. Those were testimonies. Caleb, that's a testimony, brother. Okay. Okay, if you want to start turning there, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. In case you're not familiar, Ephesians chapter 4 the context here is uh, God is telling us, establishing an order for his body. These are going to be our the leaders that I'm going to put my anointing on, the categories of leaders. It tells us what's the purpose of those leaders. Who knows it? Equipping the saints. <laughs> There's only one purpose of leaders, equipping the saints. It's right there in Ephesians 4. Okay? talks a little bit how he's going to do it, how the body's going to be linked and joined together, lacking nothing because we are the body of Christ together. That's the context. Now, just after this, I'm going to start in um, verse 17. 
We're going to read again about the culture of God here and how the culture of God is relevant to where we're at in a world where, what's the ministry? What's the ministry that's going on? The ministry of reconciliation, the restoration of divine favor in the healing of the soul in an exchange with a living God. That's the ministry. Now listen, starting here in verse 17. Here it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now here's the thing. That statement, if we even just stop right there, is usually painfully, woefully, is almost always taken from a legalistic perspective. And it was what that just say. It just said, you should no longer walk as Gentiles walk. What's the legalistic, the untruthful, unbiblical perspective is stop it. <laughs> right? Don't walk that way. Stop it. As if, it's, as if we have the ability to stop it. It's completely unbiblical. You don't have the ability to stop it. Cut it out. Don't be that way. Now, even just reading forward in the next couple of verses shows us how unbiblical and how ridiculous the stop it theology is. <laughs> it goes on and says, so, so here, it already becomes to get clear. What's next? It says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. We're starting to talk about the soul here now. Okay, in the futility of the mind, the mind of the soul, having their understanding darkened. So what's the problem? Starting already, why, why do we walk contrary to God? It's in the futility of our mind. It's in lack of understanding. Okay, it goes on and says, being alienated from the life of God. What's our ministry? The ministry of reconciliation, exchange with a living God who's personal, who wants to encounter you and exchange things with you, okay, for the restoration of favor. This talks about being alienated from the life of God. Why did Jesus come? The word of God tells us crystal clear. It says he came that you would have life and have it more abundant. This is talking about why we don't have life, because we're alienated from the life of God. Now look, it goes on and says, because of the ignorance that is in them. Why do they walk this way? Because of the ignorance that's in them. Now look, in our culture, ignorance has taken on a very negative connotation. You know, we say, he's ignorant. And we, what we really mean is like, he's purposely purposely obtuse or whatever. The truth is ignorance merely means lacking knowledge, not knowing. Why do they walk this way? Because of the lacking of knowledge, the not knowing, the ignorance that's in them. Now look, I'm including myself in that. You understand I'm talking about the culture of God, so I too am ever on a journey. I, I am continuously being healed, continuously having the eyes of my heart opened. Anybody else? 
Okay, it's good because that's the culture of God. Because if you're not, you're living in a way that is contrary to the culture of God. Now look, I'm not saying you're not in Christ. I'm not saying that you're not saved. You've got your fire insurance and all that. That's fine. But God's desire is to re- to have exchanges with you to to restore divine favor in your life, to authorize you with his name, to fill you with royalty. That's, that's his desire. Okay, let's go on. It goes on and says, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Did you know your heart had eyes? So I'm going to tell you something. If this morning, okay, if this morning we had a blind person among us, and I felt like the Lord was leading, to, leading me, bring them up here for healing prayer. I want to open their eyes. And we did that. And God opened, healed their eyes and opened their eyes. Would that be glorious? Okay. Um, would you want to jump up and down and praise the Lord because of his love for that person? Would that be amazing? Now, I'm going to tell you something, though. I would, too, by the way. I would. <laughs> I'm with you. But I'll tell you, that's nothing compared to when he opens the eyes of the heart. That's nothing compared to when he touches the place inside, the ignorance, the lack of knowledge in the heart, and a blind heart that is not open and hungry and reaching for those encounters where Jesus can make an exchange with you. When that happens, all of heaven goes into exuberance. I don't know where that is right now. but Now this part's going to strike some people. Brace yourself. I don't know who it is, but this is going to hit someone. It goes on and says, so it says, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling. Do you hear those words? Who being past feeling. In other words, why do they walk this way? The heart's blind. It's, it's the mutilation of the soul, okay? And who being past feeling, who put to death our feelings. Let's go back to the beginning, okay? We have a God void. And we cannot help expending efforts and joining into idolatry to try to make ourselves okay in the God void that we feel. It's the mutilation of the soul, okay? And eventually, we get to the point where there's death of feeling. You can only stand so much shame before you break. You can only stand so much pain before you break. And so eventually, we cause the death of the feeling. It's a hard heart. We could do a whole sermon series on hard heart. Being past feeling. So what? We're completely powerless to do something about this ourselves, to open the eyes of our heart, to even know where, where shame is impacting us, is keeping us in burden and bondage, where lies are keeping us in burden and bondage, where pain is keeping us in burden and bondage. Now listen to me. People, it's biblical, it's truthful, it's, it's universal, People do it to us, okay? We live in a world where wounding comes at us. It's the enemy's hatred for you. But I want to tell you something else. We are also very good at doing it to ourselves. 
as good as other people are at wounding us, in our efforts and idols, we are very good at wounding and marring and setting up a soul that is contrary to God all by ourself. Amen? It finishes saying, who being past feeling have given themselves over to what? Now it begins to list sins, to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, and so on. I know you're acquainted with sin. So we'll stop. But why? That just gave us an explanation of the truth, and it tells us something that is foundational about the culture of Jesus' kingdom. It is a culture of reconciling. It's a culture. Now, look, we got to talk about this exchange, and that'll really make the culture clear. Now listen, we usually think if I'm going to bring something to Jesus, I'm going to bring him the best to me. <laughs> she just laughs right out of the gate. I'm going to bring him, look what I've accomplished, or I'm doing so much better in this battle against this sin, or <laughs> whatever it is. We try to bring him good stuff. Look what I have for you, Lord. He's only interested in one thing. He only wants the worst of you. Okay? Now look at the scripture. Think of the scriptures we've been reading, we've been going through. You understand? He's saying, bring me your wounds, and I want to make an exchange. So we go to him and we go, Lord, I have this wound. I don't even know why. Sometimes I don't even know where it came from. I have this pain I don't even understand it. All I'm certain of is I can't do anything about it. <laughs> I have tried for what? For 30 years, 40, 60 years, I've tried to do something with this pain that is a bondage to me and makes me do everything contrary to your kingdom. And I can't do anything about it. This is what I have for you, Jesus. And he's like, praise the Father. I have been waiting for this. You're finally bringing me your wound. I have a deal for you. Bring me your wound, and I have health. I'll make you a trade. That's the culture of the kingdom of God. That is the ministry of reconciliation. God, I have this pain. I don't even know where it came from. I don't even understand it, and I'm certain I can do nothing about it. I have this for you. And he says, give me your pain. I have Authority. I would like to trade you authority for your pain. Lord, I have this lie. I don't even know where the lie came from. All I know is, even though I've finally gotten to a point that I recognize that I have this lie and that it exerts power over my life continually, I can't do anything about it, even though I'm aware of the fact that it's a lie. I'm not powerful enough to undo the lie. And Jesus says, bring me the lie. I've got truth to give you. I've got a deal for you. If you'll bring me your lie, I'll give you truth about you. I will give you the truth about your royalty in my family. God, I've got this shame. Shame. I've got this shame. 
I don't know what to do with it. All I know is it puts me in burden and bondage. And Jesus says, bring me, I've got a deal for you. Bring me your shame and I have royalty for you. You're a member of my family. If you bring it to me, I have been waiting for you to bring me your shame. That's the exchange. See, Jesus says, I've got a good deal for you. As long as we try to bring him our good stuff, he's kind of like, well, you've got it together. That's contrary to my kingdom's culture. My kingdom, Jesus says, my kingdom is a kingdom of reconciliation where a living God wants to encounter you actually and make an exchange with you. He wants to give you all the authority of his kingdom. He wants you to be a place where you are so in line with his culture that he says, I can put my name on that. I'm going to give you my authority to carry my authority into this dark place to bring things. Do you know that you are, you are automatically, unquenchably, compulsively desiring to carry the dominion, to bring things under the dominion of Jesus' name. That's what you're made for. Did you know that? That is what you're made for, to bring things under the submission of Jesus' kingdom. We get that authority in encounter with a living God. Now, I didn't say religion. I didn't say membership in a church. Good Bible study. Encounter with God is the only place where that exchange happens. Encounter with God. He wants to make an exchange. See, culture number one in a church says, if we can keep doing this well enough, then um, the Lord will kind of bless us as we walk along. Culture number two says, he already knew that I didn't have anything to give him. <laughs> except for my worst. And his kingdom is a culture of, of bringing him my worst because that's his plan to make an exchange with me and we're going to watch God do it. We're going to watch him bless it because it's his culture. You know, whenever someone comes to me riddled with shame and great pain and things like that. I actually have gotten to a place in my life where I get all excited. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. This is a moment where God's actually going to encounter a person. He's been waiting for this since before the day you were born. He knew this moment was coming. There's such good coming for you. <laughs> I get all excited. Okay, we are going to make it to the well. <laughs> uh, the Lord put on my heart. Okay, so look, we're talking about encounters, right? Who wants to have an encounter with God? All right. Who believes you're going to do it before the day is over? Who believes you're doing it right now? <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to look briefly. I'm going to pull out highlights. I, I really need like three hours to do this well. But I'm going to pull out highlights because the Lord's put it so powerfully on my heart. We're going to read about an encounter. 
Okay? You know Jesus is encountering you and people all the time. That's what he does. He's in the business of encountering people because he wants to make this exchange. You starting to believe it? Okay. So we're going to look at, you know the story, it's the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay? Now to start, this is in John chapter 4, if you want to start turning there, in verse 1. And I, I've got to do the culture, I mean the uh, context really quickly. Starts in verse 1. Here in verse 1 it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, listen to those words, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, did you catch it? The, the Pharisees, those of a culture that is, let's just say it's contrary to the culture that Jesus is establishing. What did he do? Let's just get this detail. What did he do right there? He left. <laughs> you see, that's all what we're talking about. We're making, we are cooperating with God to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, to be the place where he is so welcome because the temple is exactly like he likes it, the culture of God. The Pharisees are opposite that, and the text here says he left. It says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, what happens next, you've read this before, he comes to Samaria, says it was about the sixth hour, I'm not going to rabbit trail there, and he comes to a Samaritan woman at the well. In verse 7, Jesus says to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Okay, so begin an encounter. Do you see that? This is an actual encounter. Jesus is a man. He's God. He's real. He just encountered this woman, exactly like he wants to encounter you today and tomorrow and the next day. He wants to be in encounter with you. That's what just happened. Now listen to her. In verse 9, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. So they're violating the world's culture. Why? Because it's not the world's culture. Jesus is instituting the culture of his kingdom. <laughs> okay, who puts up a stink about it? Jesus? The woman has a stink about it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to go point by point here, and I'm just going to show you quickly. It's exactly what we do. If you see this in, at all, like, like God has shown me this passage this week, it, it's mind-blowing. It's exactly what we do. The first thing we do is we go, me? Jesus wants to have an encounter with you to make an exchange. He says, I'll take your death and I'd like to give you life, abundant life. He wants to make that exchange. And we go, me? That violates all the rules. Do you know how ugly I am? <laughs> how unworthy? We've got to get past that. That's the first one. If you need help, just ask God. I'm sure he wants to help you. 
Just ask him to help you. If you have a worthiness where you're like me, then that's the first ugly thing you take him, right? Then that's the first exchange. You've got to go to God and say, God, the first thing I have for you is I don't even feel like I can approach you. I don't even feel like you would accept me into your presence to have this conversation. And he goes, I've got an exchange for you. I've got a good trade. As long as you'll be like, be that transparent with me, if you want relationship with me, I offer you a trade. Bring me that unworthiness and I will give you love. I'll give you royalty. Come on in. In verse 10, Jesus answered her and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would, he would have given you living water. Now I want you to see the next thing. You know God's already working in your circumstances? In your natural. In all of the coincidences and the happenings in your life, God is already there working. He pursues you desperately like that. He's doing the same thing in the person who's sitting next to you. He's desperately working because he wants to have an exchange. And he changes the subject from the natural. They're at a well. They're at an actual well with natural water in it. And he begins to talk about living water. We're going to get a handle on that in a second here. Now the next thing, listen what the woman does next. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? I'm going to tell you, that's the second thing we do. It's uncanny how truthful God's word is. It's the second thing we do. How are you going to do this? Do you know my problems? My problems, can you really touch my problems? If you knew the depth of my shame, the depth of my pain, the amount of anger that I carry, how wounded I am, how many lies I battle, you probably can't. I'm sure you could help a lot of people. But my well is really, really deep. And I'm not sure you're big enough to handle what's here. It's the second thing we do. Are you big enough for my problems? Jesus answered her, to, answered her, now I really want you to listen to these words. And he says, whoever drinks of this water, the water in the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Just in case you didn't catch it, that is the definition of healing. Jesus' water that comes to a place in the soul where you never have that issue again. You never thirst in that place again. That's the definition of healing. That's a soul being made whole in that place. Do you see that? That's the exchange. That's what he wants to do. Bring your word. Are you thirsty? Bring your worst. I have healing. Okay, I want, you to, I want you to see a picture of this healing. So, okay, um, verse 15, the woman 
is catching on and she says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So <laughs> she's enticed by what he's got. She doesn't really under, fully understand what's going on yet. And then the famous part, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one with, um, the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. So we see her mode, right? We see her, we all got one, or we all got many. <laughs> we all got many. Her efforts and idols are very, very clear to fill the void. And there's one who knows what they are. Even when you don't know what they are, there's one who knows your efforts and idols. See, blindness of the heart that we read about in 2 Corinthians makes it so that you don't even necessarily know your efforts and idols that are contrary to the culture of the kingdom of God, that keep you from the abundant life that he is desperately trying to give you. And I say you. You understand I'm always including myself in this. <laughs> desperately trying to give us. But we're not, we don't even have the eyes most of the time to even be able to know what our mode is, our efforts and idols that require that exchange with God. But this story shows us the nature of God. Not only the way that he loves you, but his willingness, his desire to reach out and say, I, he wants to show you. He's desperate to show you your efforts and idols, the things that keep you from his culture, from the abundant life he wants to give you. And that's what he does with her. And then, of course, the woman says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You think? <laughs> and, it, and it ends up, for, for time's sake, we're not going to go on and read it, but it ends up in the passage where it talks about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. That's where they end in their conversation. She wants to have a relit now. We're going to do it. <sighs> In verse 21, Jesus said to her, actually, did I go too far? Let's see. Yeah, so actually go back to verse 19, verse 20. I'll get it straight. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. <laughs> Do you see where she's at? She's in that religious place. She wants to have a religious conversation. She's got the Messiah who's trying to give her living water. He wants to make an exchange. He's going, give me your death. I, I, I am the lover of your soul that actually knows your mode. <laughs> I know how you try to fill the God void. And she wants to have a religious come. She's like, okay, well, since I see that you're a prophet now, um, Let's get good theology now. Hold on a second. And she's like, you know, where's the right mountain to worship on? 
And in verse uh, 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Do you realize how significant it is? This is how their conversation begins to wrap up into a conclusion. Spirit and truth. You know that you can only come to him in that spirit and in truth when you have those encounters, when you've made the exchange. Otherwise, all we have is our efforts and idols, our facades and our masks and the lies that protect us and the minions of the enemies that act like they're our friend, anger or bitterness or unforgiveness, whatever they are, that act like our allies and our friends, but they keep us from being in spirit and in truth, where we're free. He wants to take the burden. He wants to take the bondage. He wants to free you from slavery where you're actually able to live in the royalty of a son of God and carry the authority of his name. That's his plan for you today. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, I am. And when it's in italics like that, I don't know about your Bible, it says, I who speak to you am he, and he is in italics. In other words, in the original language, it didn't actually have he. He says, I who speak to you am. (sighs) I made you. I know your days. I know my plans for you. I'm crazy nuts in love with you, and I'm on the edge of my seat to make an exchange with you. Do you have insecurity, shame, guilt, pain? He says, I'll take it. I have royalty for you. I plan to put my name on you in such authority that you walk around bringing things under the submission of my kingdom. That's my plan for your life. Can I pray for you? Okay. Just let yourself relax. The Spirit of God is already in you and around you. You cannot change the love of God for you. He just loves you. (laughs) Take some deep breaths. Ask him to make his spirit present and real to you in your experience right now. Father, we invite your spirit in this place. I ask you to make yourself real to people that they would would experience the reality of your presence that is already there. And Lord, I ask that you would reveal one word to them in this moment. Just, Just one word that you want to start a conversation with them. Father, for some here, I know that you want to start a conversation about a wound that you don't want them to have anymore, that you want to bind up and heal. And for some, you want to start a conversation about shame. And you want to show them, you want to begin walking with them to heal that place of shame. You want to have an encounter. 
Lord, I know there are some here where you want to start a conversation about lies that exert a bondage over them. And Lord, I just pray right now that you might even be, that you would be revealing lies right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I'm sensing that there are some here that have put to death, that have pushed down feeling. And Lord, I pray that you would release an anointing, release your spirit to bring back feeling. Feeling in places of pain, feeling in places of shame, that you would be releasing that back out so that they could have the awareness of what they have to bring to you. Father, we are so blessed that we are sons and daughters of the king, that we are members of the royal family, and that each one of us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. I ask that you would release an anointing for that in this body even right now, that you would be releasing your spirit, putting a fire to, to take people's hand and put it into your hand. Father, even right now that you're, you're starting ministries in the hearts of people and, and you, are, you are making us a people that position ourselves and others to receive the exchanges that you have for us. That, that new ministry in this community, in the families, in this church, in our businesses, that even right now, Lord, that you are releasing an ability and a power to, to cooperate with you to bring about encounters where you, the living God, are going to start encountering the hearts of people and you're going to begin releasing freedom where there's bondage in the name of Jesus and you're going to begin releasing truth where there are lies and royalty where there's shame so that the power and the glory of the kingdom of God is just being released in it in the name of Jesus. We come against the enemy and we, we just seal this work. We command in the authority of your name, Jesus, that the enemy cannot touch the work that you're doing in people's hearts here this morning. And the fruit that you're going to bear as they go out as priests and prophets and kings in the ministry of reconciliation. In the name of Jesus, we'll have it no other way. We believe that you are accomplishing it, and we love you above all things, Jesus. We love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.